Our Heavenly Father, we, uh, we give you thanks for this opportunity to think over these few weeks about how we can grow as Christian believers and we particularly thank you tonight for the gift of prayer and we pray that tonight might be an encouragement to us and a challenge to us uh, to grow in prayerfulness and we pray that we really might take a hold of the wonderful privilege it is to be able to talk to you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I need to uh, share something with you today, a little bit of a, uh, a guilty secret of mine. I'm sort of ashamed to say it actually, but uh, I love infomercials on television. Uh, I discovered this when I was on holidays once and one of our kids wouldn't go to sleep and so I was sort of tearing my hair out, so I turned on late night television, couldn't find anything to watch and so I'd gone through every channel and I got to like 94 or something. And there was an ad for Stone Dine frying pans. And ever since then, I have wanted a Stone Dine frying pan. Does anyone have a Stone Dine frying pan? Des, well done. There you go, that's great. Are they as good as they look? I mean, who wouldn't want a frying pan made of stone? I mean, really. But anyway, uh, it's interesting. Last week, after I mentioned the ab cruncher, uh, more than one person came and confessed to me that they had purchased an ab cruncher that they'd used two or three times and it was now sitting under the stairs or in the cupboard or wherever those things go to gather dust. But anyway, I've never bought anything off an infomercial, so I can claim the moral high ground there. But, but ever since I saw that ad, I've wanted a stone dine frying pan. So if you're ever looking for something to buy me, if you think, hey, it's Phil's birthday coming up, I wonder what he'd want, that's it. Because what they do, <laughs> what, what they do is they, they burn... Have you seen this? They burn a rubber thong, as in shoe. They burn a rubber thong on the fry pan until it sort of melts down. And then they say, look at this. And it just slides out. And they say, you don't even have to wash it, which must give you cancer. But anyway. Um, but because I'm always burning my rubber thongs on the fry pan when I try and cook them, that I think I must have one of these. But anyway... That is my greatest desire. But the selling point of all of these things, from the ab cruncher to the fry pan, is they say, this is a shortcut. This will save you time. You'll never have to wash up again. You'll never have to scrub your dishes. You'll, you'll never have to exercise. You just do 20 things on the ab cruncher or whatever it is. Uh, and it would be tempting to sort of do an infomercial for Christian growth over this three-week series. If you do, just do this, this, and this, then you will grow as a Christian. And in three weeks' time, you will be a spiritual Mr. Universe or whatever it is. But as I said last week, there are no shortcuts when it comes to Christian growth. If we want to grow in faith, in love, in hope, if we want to grow in our knowledge of God, then we need to put in the work. That is the reality. We need to commit to an effective growth regime, and we in particular need to commit to taking advantage of the three tools God gives us, which are so simple, and everyone knows them, they are his word, they are prayer, and they are fellowship. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, they are the things God has given us to help us grow. So last week, we looked at the word. And on that, I want to encourage you to keep going. So remember, at the end of last week, I asked you to write something down, some action you were going to take with regard to reading the Bible more. And even if you failed this week, if you're now looking back and go, that's right, I wrote something down last week. And it's still sitting on the back seat of my car where I threw it afterwards. Even if you failed last week, I want you to have a go this week. And even if you fail this week, I want you to commit to having a go next week. My sort of my prayer for this term and for this little series is that every one of us might move forward just a little bit. 
in, in our Bible reading, in our prayer and in our commitment to the fellowship. Some of us, I pray, might move forward a massive amount, but my hope is that everyone will at least move a little bit. So even if you didn't do anything last week, don't now just sort of throw it under the cupboard with the ab cruncher. Now say, no, no, well, I'll try this week. And if this week doesn't work, I'll try next week. That's what I want us to do. But today we move on to prayer. Now, in my experience, if you ever want to make a Christian feel guilty, ask them, how's your prayer life going? And every Christian I've ever met feels guilty. And in fact, for many of us, the moment I said, or Troy said at the start of the service, today is on prayer, some of us went, oh, yeah. Because what happens with the Christian life is every Christian I've met struggles to pray. I've never met a Christian who, for 365 days a year of all of their life, has never struggled to pray. But for most Christians, it's a constant struggle to pray. And sometimes, even when we get someone up front, you know we sometimes interview people and, we, and they tell us about how they get up at 5am and pray for three hours every morning. And that's meant to be an encouragement to us. But often, for me anyway, I find that discouraging. Because I say, well, that's nice, but I'm not like that. I don't do that. I, I don't pray as much as that. So I sort of love those stories, but at the same time, they sort of discourage me at the same point because what we do is we compare our own meagre prayer life and we say, is there something wrong with me? Because the thing is, I've never met a Christian, someone who genuinely knows Jesus, who does not want to pray. I've never met a Christian who does not want to pray and I've never met anyone who doesn't think that the Bible commands us to pray. So we know verses like, Right, so if we can bring our first one up, Ephesians chapter 6. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And we say amen to that. We hear that. We agree wholeheartedly. We say, yeah, I would love it if people could see that I pray all the time. Not, not 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but just prayer is such a part of my life that I could say I pray at all times. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Ross, our next one, which says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Again, every Christian says, Amen. Yes, that's what I want to do. We know that prayer is a wonderful gift. We know that prayer is a privilege. We know that we want to do it, but we just really struggle to do it. And even when we do pray, often... Our prayers are frankly sort of short and anemic. And so often prayer, this wonderful gift, one of the most wonderful gifts God has given us, becomes something negative, something that makes us feel guilty, something that actually makes us wonder about our standing before God. And so we say, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with me? Because I, I just don't seem to be able to pray regularly. And the answer to that is, yes, there is something wrong with you. There you go, I've said it. There's something wrong with you all. But it's the same thing that's wrong with me. And it's the same thing that's wrong with every person. And that is that we are sinners. That's what's wrong with us. That's why we struggle to pray. You see, we are forgiven. If you trust in Jesus, you are forgiven. You have been declared righteous by God because of what Jesus has done for you and he is at work in you to grow you as a disciple of Jesus but until Jesus returns we have this battle going on inside us between our old selves as the Bible calls it our sinful nature 
and our new selves, our spiritual nature. And that battle is the reality of the Christian life until Jesus returns. That's just what it's going to be like for every one of us. So every Christian struggles with sin. Every Christian says, I want to do that. I want to live that way, but I struggle to do it. I just struggle and I, and I often fail. And so every Christian struggles to pray because that is just part of that wider battle between our sinful old nature and our new spiritual selves. But we all struggle. So in a strange sort of way, I want to say to you, let that be a comfort to you. Let that be a comfort because sometimes we come to church and we think everyone else has got it all together. Everyone else here spends half an hour every morning in, their, in the word and, and in prayer and we think I'm the only one who struggles when in fact you might just be the only one who's honest. The other people are guilty of the sin of lying as well. You see, we've got to stop being Pharisees and we've got to start being honest with one another and admit our struggles and admit how difficult it is. So I want to say let that be a comfort. If you struggle to pray... If a week goes by and other than here at church and in a gospel team on a Wednesday night, you have not prayed, if that is you, that does not mean you're not a Christian. Remember this, if you have repented of your sin and turned and trusted in Jesus, you are saved. You are a child of God. You are forgiven. You are loved. Like I said last week, please do not fall into that trap of judging how God thinks about me on the basis of how I'm going at the moment. It's a horrible trap. You are a child of God if you trust in Jesus. You see, he loves you even if you're not talking to him very much at the moment. You can't change that reality. And if you hear nothing else today, hear that. But having said that, just because that struggle is common to everyone in this room, and if you're the exception, you can come and tell me afterwards, just because it's normal doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it something to accept. You see, so don't let it shipwreck you on the one hand. Don't let it make you doubt and all that sort of thing. But also, don't let it just continue on unchallenged. Don't accept that I am going to be prayerless for the rest of my life. Say, I'm going to do something about it. You see, what is worrying and what is dangerous in the Christian life is when we just accept our sin as normal where there is no battle, where we just give up the fight. And prayerlessness is no different to any other aspect of life in that regard. We mustn't just accept it. We have to repent of it. We have to seek to change. We have to seek to grow to be more prayerful. And that is the focus of the rest of tonight's talk. But now I want you to do the most important thing. I don't want you to turn to the person next to you. I just want you on your own to ask yourself a question. And that question is, do I want to be more prayerful? That's the question. Do I actually want to be more prayerful? Because if you answer no to that question, if you don't actually, I really don't care, well, well, then the rest of the talk, well, I was going to say it's irrelevant, but it's not irrelevant to you because hopefully it might convince you to say yes to that question. But the rest of the talk is sort of preconceived on the idea that you want to be more prayerful. So I want you to sort of make a commitment now to yourself and to God, yes, I want to be more prayerful. So I'm just going to give you a moment to do that. Uh, as I say, if you want to say no, it's a free world and you can do that. But I want you to make that commitment. So having made that commitment, having made that decision, now I want to think about it. Well, how can we be more prayerful? 
I think the first thing that helps with prayer is getting very clear in our head exactly what prayer is. That's what I want us to do first of all. What is the essence of prayer? Now you might say, of course I know what prayer is, but in my experience a lot of people don't know what prayer is. So some people, because of the influence of other religions and all sorts of things, some people think sitting still, quietly, listening to wait for God to talk to you is prayer. That's not prayer. In other cultures and other religions, spinning a thing with flags on is prayer. That's not prayer. What is prayer? What is the essence of prayer? That's what I want us to think about. Getting that right will actually help us greatly. Because I think sometimes we know all sorts of true things about prayer, but they're not the essence of it. So if we think prayer is a thing you do, you know, prayer is a spiritual discipline. Well, that's right. Something I've got to work hard on if I want to grow. That's right, but it's not the essence of what prayer is. If we think prayer is presenting my requests to God, if that's all it's about, is about me asking God for things, well, that's true, but it's not the essence of prayer. See, because if those things are the essence of the prayer, if you treat it as like a, a skill you've got to learn or a, a job you've got to do, uh, and there is a place for that, there is something of learning the skill of prayer. I'm going to talk about that later on. But if that's what you think it is, if that's what drives your prayer life, it will always be an obligation and it will always be a struggle. Just like doing exercise or sticking to the diet or all those things I talked about last week. So no, I want us to think, what is the essence of prayer? And at its heart, prayer is very, very simple. Prayer is just talking to my heavenly father who loves me. That's all prayer is. It's as easy as that. Prayer is just talking to my heavenly father who loves me. That's why I got us to read the Lord's Prayer before from Luke chapter 11. Ross, if we can bring our next one up on the screen. You remember the, the disciple came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, we see you praying. So can you teach us to pray? Isn't that a great question? Teach me how to pray. And this is what Jesus said to him. Look at verse 2. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father. Now we gloss over that because for the last 2,000 years, Father, because of the influence of Christianity, Father has just become a name for God. We think that's just God's name. His name is the Heavenly Father. But that's not the case. You see, when Jesus says that, see, we rush over and we go to the next bits. We go, oh, what does Jesus tell us to pray to our Heavenly Father? But actually, that's the most important bit about learning how to pray. Jesus is saying, the God of the universe has accepted you as his child. And no one else, other than someone who believes in Jesus, can call God dad, can call God my father. That is your right and your right only If you are someone who follows Jesus, that is the special relationship Jesus has given us if we trust in him. You see, Jesus is saying, the God of the universe is your true father. And so he wants you to talk to him and you can approach him directly. And he wants what is best for you and he loves you and he will do what is best for you. And Jesus then spells that out in those stories we read about rocks and bread and scorpions and that sort of stuff. Jesus says, your heavenly father will give you what is good for you. So talk to him. Talk to him. That is the essence of prayer. 
talking to the heavenly father who loves us. Prayer is not a task. Stop thinking of it as a task. Prayer is not a duty. Prayer is not an obligation. It's not something you've got to do. It's just talking to the father who loves you. That's all prayer is. And that conversation will have all sorts of different aspects. So as you talk to your heavenly father, it will include us praising him. That will be a part of the conversation. It will include us thanking him for what he's done. It will include us confessing our sin to him and thanking him for the forgiveness we have through Jesus. It will include us asking him for things, for ourselves and for people we love. But always in the context of knowing he is our father and he loves us and he wants what is best for us. Now what that means is that there is the answer if you are struggling with motivation to pray, we've found the answer. Remember last week I talked about how for some people with Bible reading, some people the issue is motivation, wanting to do it. For some people it's how to do it. It's knowing what to do. And for many of us it's frankly both. Well, it's the same with prayer. If we are struggling to pray, the thing we need to do more than anything else is just to get to know our Father better. If you want to learn how to talk to someone, you've got to get to know them better. That's how you get motivated to pray. Now, it's a bit like Bible reading. Remember what I said is, how do you grow in motivation to read God's Word last week? By reading God's Word. And actually, it's as you get to know God better that you want to know more about God. And so you read God's Word. Well, it's the same with prayer. The way to grow in motivation in prayer is to read God's Word. It's the same answer to everything. It's a bit like the Sunday school class where they say, I'm sure it's Jesus. That must be the answer to every question. Well, the answer is read God's Word. It's as simple as that. The thing that motivates us to prayer is to read God's word. Because you see, as you read about him and as you come to know him better, it opens up the conversation. So as you read Psalm 8 that I was reading, all of these are verses I've read in my Bible reading recently. So in Psalm 8, pull it up. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. As you come to know that about God, of course you're going to say, I want to praise him. Because now I know something more about his majesty. Or, or as we read about his holiness, like in 1 John, bring that one up, Ross. 1 John 1, 5. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. As I read those, I get to know that God is holy and I am not. It, it, it creates confession of sin in me. It says, I want to confess my darkness to God. I want to take a hold of the forgiveness that he has because of his holiness. As we read about his love for us in sending his son in Romans, Ross, it says, for while we were still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. And as we read that, we say, well, how can I not be thankful to God for what he's done for me, sending his son to die in my place, even though I don't deserve it? Or as we read about his sovereignty, like in Jeremiah, our next one, it says, O Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and earth by your great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. See, knowing that about God, knowing that the God who loves us is in control of everything and, and can do anything and nothing is outside his limits, well, that will drive us to trust him and, and share our desires with him. My point is, it's knowing our Heavenly Father better through His Word that will motivate us to pray. So if, you, if you're saying, I struggle to pray, well, the first thing I want to say to you is, work on your Bible reading. 
That's what will motivate you. But more than that, and I hope you've seen that in these verses, more than that, what I think you see is how God's word then shapes the content of your prayers. See, I think one of the reasons people sometimes struggle to pray is we just don't have very much to say. I see this when we have prayer meetings and things, and people come and they pray one prayer, and it's like, oh, I'm used up. I've said everything I've got to say. I've got nothing left. Well, that's hard, isn't it? Of course the conversation is going to die out if you've got nothing left to say. It's sort of like those awkward times you're sitting at a restaurant and you see a, a couple on a date sitting there in silence. Victoria and I actually have a lot of fun. It creates conversation for us. I wonder what they're talking about over at that table. That sort of idea. You know when the conversations run out and they're just sitting there thinking we've still got dessert to go. I've got nothing to say. I've talked about everything. You know. Well, you see, well, I've prayed about Auntie Joan who's not well. I've prayed about my sore toe. If that's the content of your prayers, you will run out of things to say. And of course you won't pray. But I hope that what you see is as you get to know God better through his word, it actually opens up the conversation. You have lots of things to praise God for, lots of things to thank God for, lots of things to ask God for. And in fact, the things you ask God for change. You stop really caring about your sore toe and you get more concerned about growing as a Christian. You you care less about worldly things and more about praying about, if I can say, spiritual things. See, it's God's word that not only motivates us to pray, but gives us what to pray for as well. It drives the content of our prayers. At this point, I'm going to pause and I'm going to recommend two books for you. If everyone can take out their sermon outline, uh, take out, look at the feedback slip. I have made this so easy for you today. Well, actually, Troy has, because I, ca- I can't put the tick boxes on here. I don't know how, but Troy's done it for me. Uh, I've offered you the chance where I will buy you these books, but you'll have to pay me back. <laughs> okay, I'm not buying it. I'm, I'm making the initial purchase. You're then going to purchase it off me. But if you want one of these two books, just tick the tick box and put it in the feedback slip box later on. The first book is this one. Because I want to say to you, if you don't know how to pray, these two books will really help you. If you are a reader, if you're someone who enjoys reading and reads quite a lot, buy this book. It looks totally different because my book is now 23 years old. But it's still in print. That's how good it is. That's what it looks like now. It's called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. It's by Don Carson. And what he does is he goes through all the prayers of Paul in the New Testament and teaches us how to pray by using God's word. And I can tell you, 20-something years ago, this book revolutionized my prayer life. Sounds like I'm in an infomercial now. I'm like one of those people on Channel 94. But it's true, unlike those. This book taught me how to pray and has been the basis of my prayer life ever since. The reason it's so good is it uses God's word and teaches you how to pray using God's word. So can I say, if you're a reader who enjoys reading, just buy that book and read it. It's that good. Call it Spiritual Reformation. Uh, so there you go. Uh, but... For everyone, and people, even if you say, if you're like my friend I talked about last week who doesn't read any other book other than the Bible, then maybe have a go at reading this book. Uh, Actually, this isn't it. I brought the wrong one, but it looks a lot like it, so just pretend it's that one up there. It's by Rachel Jones, and it's called Five Things to Pray for the People You Love. Last week after church, Jana ran up to me, as only Jana can, and said, you've got to mention this book. And she gave it to me, and I then read it during the week and said, yes, I will mention this book. Uh, and what this book does is it just lists out all the different people you might want to pray for in your life. Your, 
uh, your people you know at work, your friends at church, whatever, all different people in your life, your parents, your whatever. And then it looks at a Bible passage and just makes five suggestions of things you might want to pray for those people. So if you're someone who, who sits down and just doesn't know what to pray, then that book, using that book as a basis for your prayers, will just teach you to pray without you even knowing you're doing it. So can I encourage you, get one of those books or get both of them. Uh, I've already got about 40 books to buy from this morning's sermons already because people want to buy those books. Uh, so can I encourage you, take the chance now, just tick the box and I'm making it as easy as possible for you. I will then bring it to church in a couple of weeks, take your money and give you the book. That's as simple as it is. But you do have to pay for it. So there you go. Two infomercials in the middle of the sermon. But now moving on from that, now like last week with Bible reading, I really just want to get practical about prayer. That's what I want to do now. We'll all be at different places. So there'll be some people here who their prayer life is humming. You know, you're just praying every day and it's not a struggle for you at the moment. And I want to say to you, well, still take note of these tips for the times when you go on a downward part in the journey. But for many of us, and I know this from talking to many of us, we struggle with prayer all the time. We'd never actually say there's been a time where I've been humming. It's just a constant battle. So I'd love it if you took some notes at this point, and I purposely got us to spread pens around to encourage that. So I've got eight tips. It's always dangerous saying it up front because usually I come up with two or three more while I'm going. But anyway, we'll see if I keep it to eight. Eight tips. First tip, if you do not know how to pray, if you really, really struggle at that point, then I want to say to you, learn how make a commitment right now i am going to learn how to pray and like last week with bible reading the best way to do that is to ask someone to help you ask a mature christian who you know and trust and say could you just teach me to pray could i meet with you and you just explain to me what you do when you pray and i can learn from you that is the best way to learn to pray also the other thing is you can learn to pray all the time We are incredibly blessed by the people who come up and stand here every Sunday night and lead us in prayer. They do a wonderful job, like Pete tonight. So just by there's no difference between praying in church and praying in your lounge room or praying in your bed or praying on the train. You're praying the same things. So actually learn to pray from these people who know how to do it really well and do a great more for us. Or learn from people in your gospel team. See, it's actually really easy to learn how to pray. I think anyone can pray because if it's just talking to the God who loves us, then anyone can do that. If you can talk in your head or out loud, you can pray. Second tip, if your issue is discipline, then I want to say to you, you have to plan to pray. That is just the reality. Prayer is unnatural. It's unnatural. You won't do it unless you plan to do it. It doesn't, prayer for most of us just doesn't flow out of us naturally. It does when sometimes when we're in desperate circumstances. People said at the end of the First World War, there were no atheists in the trenches. Because people who wrote books about how they didn't believe in God, they prayed when they had submachine guns aimed at them. You know, in desperate circumstances, anyone prays. Anyone calls out to God. But that's a a prayer of desperation. And Praying on the go is great. Do you know what I mean? Like just praying as you're doing something and praying about it. That's, that's a wonderful thing. I don't want to belittle that. And so, you know, Philippians, if we can pull that one up, Ross, the next verse on there. Philippians says, don't worry about anything, 
But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That is a wonderful promise of Scripture that says to you, if you're anxious about something, pray about it then and there and let it be known to God and trust him to deal with it. But if the extent of our relationship with our Heavenly Father is sort of like you know those arrow prayers we, we shoot up out of desperation, if that is the extent of our conversation with our Heavenly Father, it's a bit like if the extent of our relationship with our earthly parent is that we ring them up when we run out of money. And that's the, some people are saying, oh, that's, that's what I do with my dad, so what's the problem? But that's not good, is what I'm saying to you, if you think it is. If the extent of our relationship with our earthly parent is that we ring them up when we run out of cash, that is really sad. And so if the extent of our relationship with our heavenly father is that we shoot out a prayer when we're in desperate circumstances, that's really sad, I think. Now, we need to plan and prioritize prayer. And I want to say to you, you need to plan in two ways. You need to find a place where you're not distracted and you need to find a time where you can give it the energy and, and attention it deserves. So find it. I've tied, I have to tie it to Bible reading. That's the only way it works for me. I think that's a good thing to do anyway. I have to tie it to Bible reading and a place where I can talk undisturbed. That, for, that, for you, that might be in bed first thing in the morning before you get out of bed spending some time in prayer might be at the breakfast table for me at the breakfast table is just chaos and carnage in my family so uh, especially now that we've got a dog as well who our daughters seem to think should live on the dining room table but anyway for, for me it's first thing at my desk and I did that when I worked in the city as well I used to catch the train in early and then I would sit at my desk and read my bible and pray where I just wasn't disturbed because no one else got in there that early but whatever it is you have to plan it into your day if you're a diary person, write it in your diary as an engagement so that it's not disturbed. If you don't plan to do it, you won't do it. That's the reality. Third thing I want to say, third tip. I might have sneaked a couple of other tips in there. But anyway, third tip is persevere. I don't just mean persevere like I talk about with Bible reading, which is just keep going week after week and even if you fail, get back on the horse. That's true. But I mean persevere each time you pray. You see, for me, sometimes talking to God just flows. I start praying and I'm still praying half an hour later, still going. And that's wonderful. But at other times, I haven't even finished one sentence and I am distracted and I'm gone and I've stopped praying. I will give you a real life example from last Monday morning, 8 a.m., sitting in my office, start praying. I've changed the names to protect the innocent. Heavenly Father, I haven't changed that name. Heavenly Father... <laughs> I said, thank you for the encouragement church was yesterday and last night. And thanks to that great conversation I was able to have with Bob. And at that point, there is no Bob in our church. Well, there is Rob, but you don't get called Bob. But anyway, but at that point, straight away, I think, hang on, I had to email Bob Fred's phone number. So I stopped praying, opened up my computer, look up the role and email Bob Fred's number. And then, bing, there's an email from Troy straight away. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what Troy wants. Oh, that's right, I've got to ring Colin. And now it's 9.30, an hour and a half later, and the only prayer was that first sentence, thanking God for church yesterday. Is that anyone else's experience in prayer? There's a few people nodding at me. I'm not alone. The, the point is prayer is hard. And the reason it's hard is because the person you are talking to is not standing there in front of you where they are, but you can't see them. You can't see God when you pray. It's hard enough to stay focused on some conversations when the person is standing in front of you. 
You know that here at church, I'll be talking to Rick, and then I go, oh, but I need to talk to that person over there, and poor Rick's lost me. You, you know, it's hard enough to not, be, that's just because I'm rude, but it's hard enough there. How hard is it to pray when God is not there, when God is not present, as in to see in front of us? He is present, but we can't see And how hard is it when we let things distract us? So how can we avoid that? Well, as I said, do things to avoid it. Close your eyes. That's why we close our eyes when we pray. You don't have to close your eyes, but that way you don't get distracted. You're not looking around. Oh, I wonder what that is. Turn off your computer. Turn off your phone if those things distract you. But the other thing I do is just persevere. What I do is I say, here is my time for prayer. It might be a half hour. And if I get distracted, I keep saying, no, no, I'm still in my prayer time. I'm going to go back to it. And so what will often happen is over the 30 minutes I've set aside for prayer, I will have three bouts of about four minutes of prayer. But I just stick with it and persevere. And I'm purposely being painstakingly honest with you here because I want you to see everyone struggles in this way. You're not alone. So persevere. Fourth tip, lists. Sounds really unspiritual. This is the most spiritual thing you'll hear tonight. Write lists. That's hard to say. (laughs) Write lists of what you're going to pray about. Uh, That's what I do if I'm distracted. But I have another sort of sub-tip within this one. I still want to keep this as one tip. Which is I write out like the 20 people I'm going to pray for. And then I pray for each one individually rather than pray for them all in one sitting. Because I find if I just think, oh, I've got to pray for those 20 things, I'm distracted or I'm, or I'm just rushing it through. Whereas I'll write it down, I'll say, all right, I'm praying for Rob. So then I'll pray, dear Heavenly Father, I pray these things for Rob. Amen, at the end. And then I'll say, now I'm going to move on to praying for Braden. So now I'm going to pray for Braden. And I pray each as an individual prayer because then each prayer I don't get distracted in. And I find 20 short prayers... I end up doing a lot more worthwhile praying than in one long prayer where I get distracted very, very easily. Uh, but lists are really, really helpful. And it's a good way of keeping track of praying for, more, for lots of things if you struggle to know what to pray for. So some people use apps on their phone. There's an app called PrayMate. If I knew how to get an app on my phone, I might use it, but I don't, so I don't. I use paper. That's what I use. Victoria uses old-style library cards. You know, they don't use them anymore, so she can find them everywhere. There's lots of them because no one uses them anymore. But those old-style cards that used to have the catalogue in at the library, you don't even know what I'm talking about, some of you, because you've always had computers. But, and she just writes prayer lists on them. And then she goes through the cards. Each day she prays for one of her cards and then puts it at the back and then prays for the next one the next day and so forth. But it's all part of being focused on what we're doing and persevering. Anyway, fifth tip. Tie your prayer to your Bible reading. I've said this already, but it's so worthwhile. I'm going to say it again. As I've kept saying, the two go together, Bible reading and prayer, because it's about a conversation with your heavenly Father, and God speaks to you through his word, and you speak to him through prayer, and the Bible reading tells you how to know him better and what to talk about. So tie your Bible reading to your prayer. Sixth tip, and I'm repeating one from last week here, start small and grow rather than start big and fail start small and grow like i said last week set an achievable target achieve it and then push a little further planning to pray once in your week for 10 minutes and doing it is better than planning to pray for 10 hours in your week and not praying at all 
So set a small, achievable target, achieve it, and then work at expanding it. I want to say to you, if your prayer life is currently terminal, so if your prayer life is lying on the bed and the doctor's there with the electric paddles, standing over the top, if you just don't pray at all, at home, on your own, whatever, if your only prayers are saying amen when the, when the prayer at the front at church prays, what about just deciding to do something this week? What about deciding, I'm just going to say grace at my meals, at dinner time, and thank God for the day. Uh, and I might get up early one morning in the week and read my Bible and pray. What about just deciding to do one, one thing like that? Give that a go. Will you do that? Just start small and grow. Seventh tip, don't give up. Some of these tips actually repeat themselves. If you set yourself a goal and don't meet it, then try it again next week. And then the week after, don't give up. Eighth and final tip, even if you do struggle to pray on your own, keep praying with other people. This is really, really important. When you sit with someone else and they pray, and then at the end, and you've listened along, and then at the end you say, Amen, you have prayed. It's your prayer just as much as it's their prayer. There's no ownership in prayers. That is your prayer because you've agreed. And that's why when our prayer leaders at church, why I like them to say we and us rather than me and I when they pray because they're not praying for themselves. They're praying on behalf of all of us collectively. So if you struggle to pray, and if at the moment you just can't seem to do it, you can't pray on your own, at least come and pray with others in your gospel team and at church. Because I find, in my experience, what happens is when people often, when people are struggling to read the Bible and pray for themselves, they then say, oh, well, I'll stop going to church. I'll stop going to my gospel team because I feel like a hypocrite when I'm there. In fact, the opposite is the case. That is the time when you need your Christian brothers and sisters to pray for you and with you more than at any other time. So if you are really struggling, please at least come and pray with others. At least come and say amen with other people's prayers. And can I say, anyway, reading the Bible and praying on your own is good. And I want to keep encouraging you in that. But reading the Bible and praying with your Christian brothers and sisters is even better. Because you get the gift of fellowship then as well, as we're going to talk about next week. Anyway, I hope you found those tips helpful. Uh, what I don't want is for you to go home guilty from this. That is the opposite of my hope. And it is such a danger. What I want is for you to go home having been reminded that prayer is not a chore. Prayer is not an obligation. Prayer is not something to feel guilty about. I want you to see prayer is just a wonderful gift. And it's a wonderful privilege. We read from Romans 8 before and I'm going to finish off with those verses. Thanks Ross. It says all those led by God's spirit. That's you if you are a Christian believer. All those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's what prayer is. Calling out to God, you are my Abba, my dad, my father who loves us. What a privilege, eh? So, having been reminded of the privilege, I now want us to do something about it, like last week. So everyone, take out your sermon outline. And like I said last week, if you are 100% satisfied with your prayer life, you have a leave pass for the next minute or two. Do whatever you want. Keep searching for that brick, whatever it is you do. 
you can do that. For the rest of us, let's take a moment to actually jot something down on our outline. Jot something down on our outline. I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit. Don't talk to the person next to you. This is just for you to do. Jot down. This is what I'm going to try and do. And you can add it to your Bible. This is what I'm going to try and do with my Bible. This is what I'm going to try and do with my prayer. Uh, And then Troy will come and lead us in prayer in a minute or so.